Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Yeah, something I've learned doing this podcast over the last year or so is that my family members, they all have a pretty sharp wit. For example... They all love to really razz me about my home studio setup. Wait, is, it, is that an ironing board behind you? <laughs> yes. I, did you know that I'm an expert <laughs> ironer? I'm really good at that. Actually, I did know that. <laughs> that I didn't know. <laughs> a lot I don't been, know, but that, that I did know. Because I've been ironing your clothes since you were like <laughs> yeah, a little kid. That's right. That's right. That's, 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 the, uh, that's the thing about having a little brother. That's Sunil. And when I call him little brother, I really mean it. He's a full 10 years younger than me, which means I'm Gen X and he's basically on the cusp of being a millennial. In many ways, I've been like a third parent to him. By the way, I changed a lot of diapers, just so you know. (laughs) I was a masterful diaper changer by the time I had my own kids because of you. So thank you, I guess, you know. I actually think I do remember you like literally changing one of Sage's diapers and looking at me and saying, you know, I've thought a lot about you over the past few days. The thing about having a sibling that much younger is that they sort of become a benchmark of time, meaning that anyone that's his age or younger, they're still a kid in my mind. But of course, now he's all grown up. He's 44 years old. He's a successful CEO. He's a best-selling author. He's a renowned public speaker. He has a full family life. He has a wife, Lena, two daughters, Serena and Sammy, my nieces. I'm proud of the life that he's built for himself. But here's the thing. Above all those fancy titles, he's still my little brother. Someone that I can talk to about anything at any time. And even when life gets in the way and we go weeks without connecting, it's never hard to pick it right back up where we left off. You mentioned to me one time when we were on the beach, I remember us taking a walk together, and you were like, hey, there are a lot of shortcuts to our conversations. We're always able to sort of kind of get to things a little bit quicker. And and I think that that's like, as I'm getting older, realizing how exceedingly rare that is in life is when you have somebody, whether it be a sibling or whether it be a friend. Um, but I, it's not, it's very rare to have somebody that you can just have those sort of shortcuts with. And so it is an honor to have a shortcut conversation with you today. As we're exploring the topic of aging better on this season of the podcast, I've been thinking a lot about the last 10 years of my life. Our mid-40s, early 50s, we often think of that as middle age, midlife. And in fact, the oldest millennials, well, they're now 42 years old, so they are entering this stage of life as well. But experts say that this generation, which has long been stereotyped as young, spoiled, entitled, Well, they are starting to experience middle age much differently than their parents and their grandparents did. So today I'm going to ask my own brother, Sunil. He's right on the edge of that millennial generation, what midlife looks like for him. How am I truly going to be measuring myself? Right? How am I truly going to be looking at what like my definition of success is? And and it's very different. It's very different than than the way that I looked at it before. Plus, a researcher who's been studying aging is going to tell us why millennials 
may, may have a lot more to be stressed about as they enter this crucial time of life. This term, midlife crisis. It's always been a mysterious thing to me. So today, I get to find out what that really means. The midlife crisis is, I think, a myth, or at least overblown. And so there. Phew, my <laughs> God. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. How old do you feel? I feel like I'm in my 30s right now. Like 10 like, years younger? Yeah, about 10 years younger. I feel like I'm in my 30s, too. So we're like the same age. (laughs) But that's so funny. Of course, I'm 10 years younger. You're 20 years younger. You always got to outdo me. That's my brother, Sunil. Again, he's 44. We are really close. We talk all the time. But the thing about a podcast is that this format makes for conversations you might not otherwise have. Like figuring this out. Is my little brother really happy this decade of life? I was thinking to myself today that you know, I'm in my 40s now. My 40s have, were, were generally better than my 30s. My 30s were better than my 20s. My 20s were better than you know 10 through 20, teenage years. But there was only one time in my life where I felt like it didn't work that way. And that was, I don't think that my teenage years, you know, just give or take 10 to 20, were better than zero through 10. <laughs> I felt like I hit a slump during that time. He didn't have to explain. In fact, it was one of the shortcuts that close family and friends have. What he's describing was a truly formative time for our entire family. You see, my dad had had crushing chest pain one day. It seemed to come out of the blue. And then all of a sudden, our lives became a blur. I was the one who called 911, and I still have a hard time to this day imagining the conversation that I must have had. I think my dad is having a heart attack. Come quick. That's what I said. He was only 47 at the time. I was 11 years old when he was, when he had his triple bypass, quadruple bypass surgery, you know? And that was, um, you know, that was one of those situations where everything sort of changed. I I think that, um, you know, having an operation like that is different today than it was back then. You know, it it seems like it was just a a massive, massive ordeal at that that time. And and it was, um, but I think part of it was because he was so young. And so I think that you might have a better sense of this than I do, but I always felt like there was a bit of um, shame mm-hmm. that that sort of came with that, um, where I think we 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 didn't we stopped being as social as we as we had before. We stopped interacting, and and I think um, in a lot of ways, mom and dad sort of uh, wanted to kind of go into their shell a little bit during that time. Um, that was the, that was sort of the the one side of it, but the, the other side of it that was much more positive was that they really started to develop some very healthy habits during that time. Like I, I kind of assumed, I don't know if this was right for me to assume or not. I was eleven years old, but I kind of assumed that Dad was kind of on his last leg at that time. Did you? And I was curious. Did you think he might not survive this? I, I did. You know, and, and you know, I, there was no internet back then, so I wasn't going online and, and Google searching this. But it was like. It was kids at school that would talk about their grandparents, and they're like, "Oh, well, if he had a if he had a surgery like that, I mean, he's got he's got a few years to live, you know." Like, mm. I remember like people telling me that and believing it. You know, I'm like, "Wow, I mean, dad is like, dad's on his way out," and you know, I think that watching him sort of turn that around 
may like in retrospect may be one of the most inspiring things that I've ever really witnessed. You know, I'd never really heard Sunil speak that way about our father or really understood the inspiration he took from my father at the same time he was thinking my father might die. See, Sunil was just a little kid when all this happened. I was already out of the house. You know, even though you were out of the house by the time that I was like, you know, six years old, we we, we still had these, these really uh, important moments throughout my childhood and as I got as I got older and I was trying to figure things out, you were the person that I sort of went to all the time when I was at these critical, critical moments. I mean, we, we would talk all the time, but when it was kind of like, dude, I'm lost and I don't know exactly what to do. You know, you were always the call of, listen, you know, I just, this isn't working. Whatever I'm doing right now is just not working and I need to reboot things. I need to reset. And you were always the one who sort of talked me through those moments. What are some of your your memories of those early years when you were still, I guess, you know, teen, preteen sort of time frame and I was 10 years older? How would you look back on, on that time in our lives? It's so funny because I look, when I, when I imagine those moments, I see you as so old. <laughs> like I see you as, I see you as like this just old, like wise man. And now I realize you're, you're 20 years younger than I am now, <laughs> you know, and, it, and it's just, it's hard for me to sort of bring all this together in my mind. Sometimes time is such a funny, yeah. such a funny thing. But for me, you know, you seem so certain and you seem so wise, like you seemed like you knew exactly what was happening. There was always a, there was always a uh, confidence. There was always a, um, um, you know, there was always a uh, a grounded, as what I would say, grounded ambition. You know, like you you wanted things. You wanted you knew that you had sort of I think big sights set for your life, but you were always very grounded in the way that you went about that. And and I always found that to be kind of very inspirational, especially because. You know, when when mom and dad would compare uh, the two of us, they were just kind of like, my God, look at Sanjay. What the hell are you doing with your <laughs> grades and with your life, you know? And but, but and, and so they wanted me to admire you because you were smart. And, and I did. Uh, and they wanted me to admire you because you achieved. And I did. But what I admired more than that was that you had done all these things and you had this character about you that, um, you know, more than anything else, that's what I wanted. Okay, that was really nice. That was humbling. And I'm going to keep that audio clip forever. But most of all, I know that Sunil, like all of us, had seen his fair share of ups and downs in life. And I was just truly grateful that I could be there when he needed me and that I'm still going to be there as he enters middle age. I always sort of feel that you can turn things around. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have my I have my months where I'm like, oh my God, I'm just eating terribly and just like not like just really not doing the the you know the sticking to the habits that I know put me in a good place. Um but and I've been, I think like a lot of, you know, I guess middle-aged men, middle-aged people generally, where we sort of have our swings, you know, where all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, like I, I, I got like, where the, where the hell did the, these like love handles, like all of a sudden just like emerge from. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and so then like now, and, and I think you can go in one of two directions, right? You can be like, oh, well, F it, this is life, you know, such is the case. Or you can be like, hey, let me let me actually let me actually turn things around. I think that having seen Dad's story, 
there's no way for me to believe that you can't actually turn things around. First of all, do you, do you think of yourself as middle-aged? No, I didn't until your producer reached out to me and said, we would like to talk to you about middle-aged lifestyle. <laughs> Did you have a certain perception before this time frame of what middle-aged would be like? I guess I thought a lot about where I wanted to be by middle age, you know? I, I sort of had this kind of, you know, I guess thing that I felt like I was chasing, which is that, you know, by the time that I'm middle-aged, I want to be, I want to have a certain level of success, uh, you know, whether that manifests itself with, you know, status or or job or, and, you know, wealth, all, all, all of these sort of things. And I guess I, 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 I always sort of kind of, you know, imagine that life was going to look a certain way when I was middle-aged. And that was mm -hmm. sort of my best kind of perception of that. But along the way that things really changed. And I guess the way they changed for me is that I started to kind of realize that like, you know, with a lot of luck, I was getting those things. I was getting, I was getting some success. I was getting the titles. I was getting, you know, enough money to, to take care of my family. And, 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 and it was, it wasn't that that stuff was bad, but it just wasn't necessarily wasn't necessarily sort of, I guess, filling me up in the way that I expected it to. Hmm. And so I guess you know I started to kind of reorient on how am I truly going to be measuring myself, right? How am I truly going to be looking at what like my definition of success is? And, and it's very different. It's very different than than the way that I looked at it before. I mean, the the best way I can describe it is I, I really do think of like I do think that there is an outer success and an inner success. Right. And, and if you consider outer success to be status and wealth and, you know, um, you know, all those other things in that bucket. And then you have inner success, which is joy. And, and, it, and it's, a, I think, a sense of meaning and, and maybe personal growth I would put into that bucket. Uh, my mistake for a long time was in believing that outer success would somehow lead to inner success. And it didn't. Never. Hmm. Right. I, I guess at some point in time, and this didn't happen with the flip of a switch, I started to reverse the flow. And I started to sort of take a, a flyer on this idea of if I can begin with inner success, then eventually outer success will follow. Mm -hmm. One of the things that has been, I think, instrumental for me over the past few years has been really starting to focus more on energy instead of time. Like I feel like to me, I was constantly trying to crush as much time into a given day. How do I optimize my schedule in a way that's just you know, masterfully getting you know, as much done as I possibly can and squeezing in as many things as I possibly could do? And I started to kind of back off from that and, and start to realize that it's not about the number of hours that I can put towards a day, but it's really about the quality of energy that I can bring to each hour. Whether that be with work, whether that be with with family, one of the things I do now is that I, I'm constantly taking short breaks throughout the day, like constantly. And I, I try to adopt what I call this 55-5 model, which is that for every 55 minutes of work, whenever possible, I'm building in just five minutes of relaxation, five minutes of break, mm -hmm. leave my phone behind, go do some push-ups, go take a walk, you know, go hang out, like just do something to reset myself. I'm constantly doing that. Right. And for the first time when I, when, when I can stay disciplined with that, I actually can feel as much energy at the end of the day as I did at the beginning of the day, 
which was in the past completely unheard of. As you can hear, my little brother is full of a lot of wisdom. Nowadays, he's the one teaching me. See, I think that's such a great idea. I think it's something we can all try. Life can get really, really busy, especially for parents as they hit midlife. It can be hard to step back. It can be hard to take a breath and really prioritize the things that we care about. For a lot of people, Sunil and me included, it's mostly about trying to find that quality time with our children. When Serena is out of the house, I'm going to be how old? I'm going to be 50, about 56 years old, right? You know, if Serena ever leaves the house. <laughs> she likes her parents. But, but, but if, if she does, she graduates from high school and goes to college the way that you and I did, I'll be 56 years old, right? right? So that's right. two years older than you are yeah, right now. Yeah. You're, you're, you're freaking doing triathlons, <laughs> right? Yeah. So like, it's just a different mental model because I think maybe looking at the way that mom and dad were, or maybe other people that we sort of grew up with and their parents, I always just assumed that when the kids left the house, I was going to be old, you know, I, that there wasn't going to be much left ahead. Hmm. And now I kind of realize that maybe... Maybe I could do a triathlon. You know? <laughs> Maybe it's just really going to end up being the beginning of an exciting new phase. You know, I, I did not have somebody in my life who was 10 years older. I'm just wondering, have you looked at m my life and said, okay, you know, it's like a weather forecast, <laughs> you know, I got a little bit of a weather forecast having a brother who's 10 years older. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, I think the forecast is like, sunny in 75, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really good. I mean, like I, you know, I, I, I really do. I, I think that you have been able to, I think, create this, this life where I think, you know, it's so funny. We talk about balance. Um, balance is, is a word that gets used very often. Hmm. Balance is hard. It's really, really hard. Right. And the, the fact that you've been able to sort of pull together, you know, and, and, and somehow keep in this equilibrium of being a, a great father and a great husband, but, but to do all the things that you've been able to do as well professionally um, and, and keep your health in, in, you know, in great in great shape where you're, where you're doing, you know, races. And, and it's just, it really is, I think, the epitome of this, of this, you know, this this balance that I think that, you know, I believe is, 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 is possible. You know, we, we, we were talking earlier about dad and when I'm out of shape, I'm like, well, there was dad's turnaround story and I can do it as well. Right. Um, I think of you in very much the same way, which is like, wow. Like if I'm having a tough time bringing things into balance, I only need to look at my big brother and know that it's all possible. I love our conversations. You know, they, they, they really, really matter to me. This is no exception. <laughs> Thank you for doing it with me, little brother. And by the way, like I said, you're going to be around a lot longer than I am. So, you know, you got a lot riding on it. You got to take care of the whole family after I'm gone. It's going to be you. I better get my push-ups in. <laughs> get your push-ups in. 100 a day. All right. Thanks, little brother. I love you, brother. Love you, brother. So what'd you think of that? Just a chat between two Gupta brothers. Two middle-aged brothers. That's weird to say out loud. But I wanted to share some of that because 
I think my brother's story is such a good example of how we can think differently about middle age. It doesn't have to be a time of crisis. doesn't even have to be a time of uncertainty. It can be a period of reinvention, of reframing, really drilling down on what's important to us. It's also a great time to try new things and maybe even discover new passions. And it's also time to get really serious about our health. The things that you could get away with in your 20s and your 30s, not so easy anymore, especially for millennials. There's been recent research showing that millennials have greater cardiometabolic problems, higher inflammation, more depression. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. And now back to Chasing Life. We're good! Streaky! That's a clip from the 2003 movie Old School. You'll remember this. It's that scene where Will Ferrell's character, Frank, is at a college party, probably having a little too much fun. Thing is, he's not a college student. He's a grown man. He just got married. Has anxiety about settling down, so what does he do? He joins up with some similarly disillusioned friends to form their own fraternity on a college campus so that they can relive their glory days. Frank's wife, Marissa, played by Perry Reeves, eventually runs into him as he's running completely naked through the street. Frank, get in the car. Everybody's doing it. Now. Okay. Okay, so that's a pretty extreme example of a midlife crisis. But you're probably familiar with some of the more common stereotypes. People leaving their jobs, their marriages, uprooting their lives, buying fancy cars. It's a well-known stage of life that may have hardly any scientific basis. The midlife crisis is, I think, a myth, or at least overblown. And so, thank God. <laughs> I, I was, I was worried. I mean, again, I'm probably way past midlife as defined by most people, but still, I, I didn't have one, so I was thinking, is this still coming, or like, what's, what's the deal? Oh, oh no, you, you are still in midlife. Oh gosh, um, so. okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> That's Nancy Sin. 
She's an associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada. She studies how stress impacts the aging process. So this idea of a midlife crisis really came from psychoanalytic thinking um, back in the 60s and 70s, and it was really centered on men. And it was this anxiety about aging, about your eventual mortality and having to reconcile with that, uh, and that's leading to men making some major changes in their lives. Um, but there's been research on trying to understand whether a midlife crisis actually exists. It's pretty fascinating research. There's been this ongoing survey of U.S. residents aged 25 to 74. They were first interviewed nearly 30 years ago in 1995. And the bottom line, Professor Sin says, is that the survey shows that most people do not experience what we traditionally think of as a midlife crisis. That work has found that uh, when you ask people, they often will say about like 25% of people who are middle-aged might think that they've had some major event that was a midlife crisis. But if you really probe them about it, uh, some of these events are things that could have happened at any point during one's life. So um, divorce, um, getting an illness, uh, losing a loved one, losing one's job. Uh, and it, when you really ask people, they um, actually, these events they feel uh, didn't happen because of their fear of aging. Um, so it's really estimated that maybe about 10 to 20% of people truly have something that might be defined as a midlife crisis. And on top of that, it's not even clear when middle age starts. So quick question. When do you think midlife occurs? When are we truly middle-aged? Oh, it depends on who you ask. Often people think it begins around 40 and ends around 60 or 65. Um, but if you ask a younger person, like I often do this in my classes, I'll ask undergraduate students, uh, when do you think a person enters midlife? And young people might say 30s or 40. Um, but if you ask an older person, an older person might say you enter midlife around 50. But in part, um, I, I want to move away from just like this emphasis on chronological age and think more about the social roles that people occupy during midlife. Uh -huh. Like that's one of the ways that we can really define midlife is like, what are the responsibilities that people have and what are their lives look like? I want you to think about that for a second. What kind of responsibilities does someone in midlife have? For me, it is husband father of three teenage daughters, son of aging parents, my career as a surgeon and a journalist. And did I mention I have three dogs as well to throw into the mix? It's a lot to deal with. But here's what surprised me. Midlife might be harder for Sunil than it was for me or our parents. Middle adulthood has become more stressful in more recent years. And so there's been research from the Midlife in the D United States study where they compared middle adulthood uh, among adults back in the 1990s, which was a period of relative economic prosperity, and compared that to adults in the post-Great Recession era. And so for the more recently, these adults after the Great Recession um, had more health problems, had um, greater psychological distress, uh, despite being more educated, and also had greater financial instability. Um, so it really seems like adulthood now is more stressful than it was several decades ago. 
Is it expected to be a pendulum swing so that my brother, who's a decade younger than I am, might his midlife be less stressful than mine? Or is this something that's progressively getting more stressful? It seems to be progressive. And this is due to uh, this backdrop of societal factors like rising health care costs, rising education costs, greater student loan debt among millennials, um, difficulty Mm. in buying housing. So again, millennials are now starting to enter middle age, depending on how you define it. This is a generation that, like Gen Z, has long been stereotyped, young, spoiled, self-obsessed. They're the ones accused of bringing about the end of various industries, cable TV, the traditional taxi. And Professor Sin, who, by the way, is a millennial herself, says this group is finding that middle age and the milestones that usually come with it look very different than they did for previous generations. Here's some context. The three-bedroom house their parents may have had by the time they were in their early 30s now seems out of reach for someone who graduated with mountains of student debt and lived through the Great Recession, only then to be hit with inflation not seen in 40 years. Besides worrying about square footage, there's low inventory, sky-high prices, and bidding wars, and now rising mortgage rates. They've dealt with global political instability, a -a once-in-a-generation pandemic, changing climate, vanishing generational wealth. It's left some millennials feeling like they're not in control of how these crucial years are playing out for them. And maybe because of all of that, a higher share of millennials are staying single compared to previous generations and choosing not to have children at all. Professor Sin studies how huge stress events like the ones I just mentioned can impact our health and how we age. And let me be clear, it's not just the major life stuff like divorce and disease and death, but also smaller daily stressors like problems at work, friction with the parent, that kind of stuff that can really start to stack up in midlife. There is so much research showing that your stress in early adulthood and middle adulthood really sets the stage for aging. Um, And for millennials, it's particularly important to talk about in the context of um, millennials because we, as a demographic group, are the largest living generation. You know, so there are more millennials than there are baby boomers alive right now. Um, And that means that as millennials age, we will have a massive impact on uh, on healthcare, on economics, and, and society. And there's been recent research showing that millennials have greater cardiometabolic problems, higher inflammation, more depression. Um, so that really poses some great burden uh, and a lot of challenges as millennials age. And to make things even more complicated, middle-aged means caring for their own kids and older relatives at the same time. It's the true sandwich time of life. But it also, at the same time, means that middle-aged adults are really the bridge between different generations. And um, so it is immensely stressful, but um, at the same time, hopefully rewarding. I imagine this is a very personal thing for, for a lot of people, like how they think about their own aging, how they define, as you say, midlife, you know, all of that, the relationships, intergenerational. Um, I, I just think it's it's really interesting to think about this stage of life with 
people have trepidation, I think, going into midlife. I think some people have talked about this inverted U-curve where mm-hmm. you are happiest young, young in life and then you're happiest again when you get older in life. Mm-hmm. But that middle part's just, just challenging, and I'm just trying to define it better for myself and for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I— That inverted U-curve for emotions or life satisfaction, I feel like it doesn't actually explain everything. When you think about control beliefs, like how much we feel in control of our lives, which is a huge predictor of mental and physical health, um, those control beliefs tend to be much higher among people in their middle adult years. Um, Hmm. So people are uh, feel more in control in terms of their work. Um, They're often contributing to the next generation, so that generativity with mentoring younger colleagues, with um, raising children, for example. Uh, uh, And these control beliefs are really important. So when I think about psychological well-being, um, I'm not thinking just of happiness and stress, but also what's your sense of purpose? Um, Do you feel that you're living a life that is meaningful? I think that's such a that's such a good point. I, I think that's maybe one of the most uh, most inspiring sort of things I've heard in terms of how you look at midlife. What about when you get older though, and you you're no longer working, you're retired from your professional life? Does your sense of purpose and all these things that you're talking about then diminish? And is that is that correlated with happiness or lack thereof? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, because older adults, we know, are the backbone of the volunteering workforce. And so I think people naturally try to engage in activities to the extent that they are physically and cognitively able to. Um, that people try to uh, foster the that their sense of purpose and to give back to the next generation. So, um, so with older adults, I don't think it's a dark period at all. Older adults are actually happier. That is really refreshing to hear. Even with all the things that are so out of our control, there is so much we can do to fill our later years with fulfilling activity and a sense of purpose. But Professor Sin does give an important caveat. It doesn't mean that all of the daily stress is just magically wiped away as we get older. Just being a very active person means that you're going to be exposed to both stressors and positive events. Um, so for, there, there has been research done on middle-aged adults who report few or no stressors, and they do differ from you know, the typical adults. So, so this like 10% of the sample from the Midlife in the United States study, they uh, reported no stressors at all across a one-week period, uh, but they also tended to not have um, as much social connection. Um, so it, that's, I, I think that's the downside of trying to avoid stress or not having enough stress is that you might not be challenged and you might not have more of those opportunities that bring you purpose in your life. Again, as you're talking, I'm thinking about my own, like how would I rate my own stress? I certainly wouldn't say that I have no no stressors, but I do think that things that I used to really let bother me don't bother me as much. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that just comes maybe with your own maturity in life, you know, and, and just sort of recognizing what is a big deal and what is not a big deal. And, and um, when you're younger, you, it's, it's harder to navigate that. Mm-hmm. But maybe you just have to go through these things um, 
in order to recognize that they either were or were not as big a deal as you thought they were. Mm-hmm. It's that life experience is so valuable. Uh, and there's been research done comparing younger and older adults, uh, even when they're exposed to the same stressor, uh, the older adult is uh, less likely to attend to the negative aspects of the situation yeah. or their attention might be more drawn to positive stimuli. Uh, and uh, and older adults are more likely to just kind of let things pass uh, compared to a younger person, who, whereas a younger person might really um, uh, exacerbate the situation. If you wanted to, to accelerate that quality of your life, the ability to focus on the good mm-hmm. aspects of a situation and minimize the bads, can, can you teach that? Can you learn that? Or is that just life experience? Well, I think the best way is life experience, but I know as a psychologist, I'm supposed to say you can teach that. And in fact, I have done research on uh, what I call positive psychology interventions. Uh, they're now called positive activity interventions or well-being interventions, where you can teach people to uh, build up these skills for um, enhancing their gratitude, uh, practicing acts of kindness, strengthening their relationships, and teach people how to deal with stress better. Um but I think it's not just about like emotion regulation, but it's also the fact that life is different for you than it is for your brother, even with similar circumstances. Uh, for someone, you know, as they get older, the kinds of stressors that they experience are going to be different than for a younger person. And it's also the case that uh, as you get older, you might, uh, for, so those who are kind of at the peak of midlife, um, you have more resources for dealing with stress. Mm-hmm. And that's why things matter less. I'm going to ask a question to Nancy now instead of Professor Sin. This is just your opinion. What is the best time of life, do you think? Yeah, it's so hard to say, but I'm going to say where I am (laughs) right now. I'm so looking forward to my 50s now. There you go. See, I'm glad, (laughs) glad I could do that for you. That's great. These conversations with Professor Sin, with my brother Sunil, I think they've really unlocked something for me as I near my mid-50s. There is so much more that I can do, that I can experience. Middle age doesn't have to be a middle or the beginning of the end. Instead, it can be the start of something new and exciting and fulfilling. For those who haven't reached middle age yet, it can be a really powerful way to think about what's coming down the road. Next week on Chasing Life, when aging and beauty standards collide, why one TV star says, why do we have to choose? Understand the difference between what you truly should be as a person and what is marketing. They're just trying to sell you something. We'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Our podcast is produced by David Rind, Xavier Lopez, and Grace Walker. Our senior producer and showrunner is Felicia Patinkin. Andrea Kane is our medical writer, and Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. Dan DeJula is our technical director, and the executive producer of CNN Audio is Steve Lichtai. Also, a special thanks to Ben Tinker, Amanda Seeley, and Nadia Kuneng of CNN Health. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. 
Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 